This is The Business Machine. We talk with small business owners and entrepreneurs to get their advice on how they run their machines. These inspirational leaders share with us some of the tools they use to run their machines and talk about some of the mistakes they made along the way and what they learned. As business owners, we're all trying to fuel our machines, create a great team, and put tools in place so that eventually our machines will run themselves. So get ready. Up next, the business machine is firing up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of The Business Machine again. And as always, I am your host, CEO of Michigan Creative and host of the podcast, Business Machine, Brian Town. Thanks for joining us. Really excited. Got a young guy on here all the way from San Francisco today in the hotbed of entrepreneurship, I guess you call it. But Aaron Beyer-Schmidt is the founder and CEO of Postly, and he is also the co-founder of Access. And he started his first company, Foundation Games, at the age of 19 and grew it all the way to 27 employees while still in school. So we're really excited, Aaron, to have you on to talk about that and all the things that you're doing today. So thanks for joining us today on The Business Machine. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Brian, for inviting me and happy to be here. So Aaron, you're walking down along somewhere in San Francisco and you stop to get some coffee and somebody talks to you and they say, what do you do? What do you tell them? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've had to work. I've had to work, you know, on this one over the years. It's, I'm sure. it's sometimes kind of difficult, particularly when you, when entrepreneur is anywhere in the sentence to then define everything you know it is that you do. So generally, I hit them with, uh, "I'm a software entrepreneur." Uh, more specifically, I lead growth and uh, product efforts uh, in founding roles at various startups. So you're also, besides Postly, you're also a consultant then to other entrepreneurs. I'm assuming, correct? I do advise um, uh, the occasional company. Uh, one currently is uh, Fremo, which is based in Seattle, makes an Android uh, lock screen application um, uh, for that platform. Um, so yes, I do. I'm happy to chat with anyone uh, and, and hopefully help them avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's why we started this podcast too. Is you know I was telling people when I started the company is. Um, when we're done and whenever that is, and I'm not going to write a book about all the great things that we did, but I'm going to tell people about all the mistakes and don't do this. And they're like, oh my gosh, that would be a, a fantastic book. So that's kind of why we thought we'd ask other people who've been through it and everybody has mistakes they made that they learn from. So tell us about Postly a little bit. I want to, you know, I'm really interested in that and how you came up with that and, and where you are today and how, how that's all kind of started and how it's going. For sure. Um, you know, I, I started Postly uh, because you know I've always had a passion for how people kind of share and communicate online, and that may be kind of a weird passion. I, I don't really know how I stumbled on it. Uh, Postly is kind of the culmination of a lot of failed projects in the social networking space. Um, really, since I was in early high school, I've had kind of the desire to try and build a communication and sharing platform that in some ways kind of takes the best of the offline world and, and brings it uh, brings it online. Uh, but, you know, Postly exists in my mind because there's a need for a platform uh, that allows users to share dynamic content, whether that's, you know, a SoundCloud link or YouTube video or a photo they took or a video they took, right, in a way that's more manageable than just all-out SMS, uh, you know, or other messengers, um, but safer and more private. Uh, I would say, than the big networks that dominate the market. Now, you know, Postly is a return to simple content sharing with friends. And I I feel that's a space that's kind of been vacated as uh, the larger networks have moved towards more um, uh, broadcast-based sharing. Yeah, and and 
safety is important too but then you know trying to share certain things with you know just one person is either have to text it or you have to then go to your photos and text the video or then you have to go to facebook and start a private group or it just depends on all the different things and somebody's on so postly really allows you to do that and share that with just one person correct Exactly. You know, so I have threads. We call them threads if you're sending it to a person kind of one-on-one. So the first time you send a post to a single individual, um, it creates a private thread with you and that individual. You know, so I, I, over the past year or so of using Postly, have developed some rather extensive threads with some of the people closest to me. And I actually really cherish those, you know, and occasionally go back and kind of look through them. And it's it's funny to kind of go back and be like, oh, wow, we were really hot on that song for a few weeks, you know, <laughs> yeah. several months ago. And there's really not a space for that right now. You know, the Facebook wall is, you know, totally kind of consumed with other brands and there's very little control over that. You have... Um, you know, messengers don't have a lot of memory. You know, uh, last time I tried to scroll through and find a picture, a link that somebody sent me in a messenger, it's generally very hard to find. Um, there's not a uh, focus on content. And, you know, at Postly, we, we say content is king. We want your whatever it is, your music or that link you sent in or that photo to be big and bold. And then the, the comment or the chat thread is important, but it's kind of a, a, a sub thread of that specific piece of content. So it, it really does give you a, a experience that, that we, we haven't seen yet in, in social networking, social media. Hey everybody, this week's episode is also sponsored by Freshwater Apparel. Check out freshwaterapparel.com. That's freshwaterapparel.com and check out their spring collection of t-shirts and soon beanies are going to be on the way. We love these guys over at Freshwater. It's a Midwest clothing company and they make all their products in Lansing, Michigan and the shirts are 100% made in America. So you can't beat that. So if you love freshwater like we do here at Michigan Creative, you should definitely check out their site. Lots more coming, but right now they have t-shirts and tanks for both men and women. Like I said before, beanies are coming, stickers, all that stuff. So check out freshwaterapparel.com and get fresh. Back to the show. And that, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit because I'm always sure. fascinated by, and since you're in it, and this is a big piece of it, and I love what you said about content because I think both offline and online, it's always content no matter if it's written, if it's video, if it's a photo. Correct. It's, I mean, content is always going to be there. Where where are we headed? Like, where, you know, I, I want to know where you're headed in 10 years too, but before we get that, where, where do you think, you know, how, how are we going to be consuming social and how, how are going to be consuming content maybe in, in gosh, with technology, we could say next year, but you know, in a few years in five years and 10 years that, you know, what, what is our social lives going to look like online? I mean, is it, I mean, how technology savvy are we going to need to be and how are we going to do it? <laughs> yeah, I obviously, I think about this a lot. Yeah, I'm, I do too. I'm consolidate an answer down into something that doesn't take six hours okay. of discussion, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in my mind, social the, the original social platforms were all about, oh, holy crap, there's this online internet thing, and now we're going to connect you with other people online. And you kind of saw, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Pinterest kind of rise out of that initial uh, land grab. And I think people are starting to... Um, 
wise up to some of the consequences of an all-out kind of broadcast-based social sharing kind of paradigm. And you're starting to see articles come out where people are sharing less personal updates on these kind of broadcast networks and um, are are sharing more uh, general kind of content into them. And I think that we're we're right at a phase where you're going to start to see a bit of a rejection of that kind of, I'm going to send a post and it gets algorithmically sorted and all of that towards more uh, micro network kind of feel Mm -hmm. so smaller scale um, you know obviously more intimate more relevant Um, you know current broadcast networks really have a lack of context in the feed right you know you could literally have a birthday post next to a news post about you know some horrific event somewhere in the world and um, that's just a different uh, uh, I personally think an unsustainable experience uh, as more and more people are getting online and sharing more and more I don't think an algorithm is is uh, you know I feel for the people at, at, at Facebook and Twitter that are trying to solve that issue yeah, I don't um, know how you and, could because I, I see where you're going with this is that you know two three years ago or maybe even three you know maybe more but you know it used to be that people would say well you know I have Facebook just so that I can stay in touch with my sister and see what their kids are doing and see what my friend's kids are doing. And now that's almost hard to find. Correct. Correct. It, it, it it is, it is. And you're kind of looking at the newsfeed and it's like, how do I sort this? And they're trying to introduce tools that do that. And at Postly, we've kind of taken a step back and said, well, what if, you know, you could send a post into, you know, to your best friend and then also a group of your family members simultaneously, very similar to how you might send a snap to multiple people, yeah, right? But we have the ability not only to send a post to a single individual, but also a group of individuals that you've either created or someone else has, you know, created and invited you. So it gives you this great experience. Like yesterday, I took a photo of my breakfast. Had I posted that on Facebook, you know, it's one of those, that's one of those annoying posts, like nobody really cares, right? nobody really cares well, but my it's girlfriend funny. my grandma right. and my mom and dad do you know? yeah it's funny because you find out friends. on facebook that you have your facebook <laughs> friends that and then once you start to see what they post you really don't like them anymore <laughs> yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting um you know kind of paradigm that's that's developed when when everybody has you know uh, uh, well, it's a part of this network that, that sorts things and throws it into a, a feed, and there's obviously this kind of gamification around likes. So Postly has a feature called a story, similar to Snapchat stories, except you are kind of the owner. You can think of it as like a microblog of your experience. And so, you know, I post cool photos I've taken or great links that, you know, I've, I've uh, read that I find interesting or, or the, a movie trailer that I'm excited about. And that's mm-hmm. what I put in my story. And obviously only my friends on Postly can can see or comment on, on any of that, you know, content. But between our threads, our groups, and stories feature, you have, I, I think, uh, you know, a social network that, that can be your primary social network in this new age of uh, kind of smaller and more intimate, relevant uh, sharing and, and, and con, uh, you know, content consumption. So what are we going to be doing? I mean, is it going to be more micro? And I mean, it just seems like to me that, this way that we're all on one single platform and there's going to be more platforms that are specifically geared towards something like me, say I'm 43 and I have, Mm -hmm. you know, three kids and that might be something that I would be on. Do you see that? Is that kind of the direction that we're going? I think the big winner is going to be the network that kind of seamlessly merges what I consider to be the social graph. So content and relationships 
um, you know, that are social, you and other people. And then the interest graph, which is more you and the interests that you're related in, uh, or, uh, you're interested, you're interested in, right? And so, uh, looking at the Postly roadmap, we intend to, uh, in the future, build a discovery feature that would let you select channels that you're interested in seeing. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Product Hunt, or I'm, I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with Reddit. Let me use a bigger network. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you go to a subreddit or you go to Product Hunt on any given day, right, there's a series of posts, basically, right, that are then sorted by the community. I see a lot of really interesting things with that flow in the event that, say, the New York Times had a uh, channel, if you will, right? And they throw in 12 articles on Monday, right? The community kind of sorts, you know, and upvotes what's kind of most interesting, right? And then you're potentially resharing your favorite content in for discussion into your social graph, right? So I, I don't know if I explained that well enough, but to me, it's 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 going to be seeing a, uh, a merge between the social and the interest graph occur. And maybe that's not a social network. Obviously, there's a lot of people trying to do this, including Postly. Maybe it's a app, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that comes out of left field, or it's, it's one of the larger platforms like Google or, you know, Apple's iOS platform that that's that starts to attempt that. There's yeah. obviously a lot of players in the in the space. There's some big guys out there, I think. Yes, for <laughs> sure, for sure. So let's talk about machines a little bit. We, you know, we call this the business machine because we, as CEOs, mm-hmm. um, it's important pieces. We're we're in a huge piece of 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 this machine and. We're the one that has to make the troops go and, and see our vision and keep everything running like a smooth running machine. But we have pieces of it. So how do we how do we do this when we can't be there all the time? How have you done it to make sure that what's happening with Postly when you're not there, you know, standing behind somebody and, and telling them your vision for this and this? How do you make sure that those pieces are still happening? And, and at the end of the day, your machine Postly um, for this example is still running. For sure, I think it's it's all about trying to instill kind of a culture and value system that's sustainable over time. Uh, obviously, this is incredibly this is an incredibly difficult task, um, and it's something that I try and kind of work every day to um, institute. I, I think it starts from a hiring perspective, looking for people who can uh, uh, execute with very little management, um, but are also team players. Uh, Each of the organizations I'm involved with today are distributed organizations. So we have people all over the country and and, and some of them all over the world uh, working and and, um, interacting on a daily basis to kind of come together. So, you know, using tools like Slack and um, uh, Skype, though we're kind of going over to the Slack voice and video as they roll yeah. that out uh, more and more. Yeah, super, super excited exciting. about that yeah, we, we feature. Yeah. <laughs> Slack cut our email down, cut our email in half between our team. If not, if yeah. not 90%, now we don't email each other. Yeah, no, I've, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of Slack. It's, uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great platform and it, it certainly helps keep uh, everyone together without necessarily having to be in the same room. I think as a company grows and, you know, becomes profitable and sustainable, raises a bit of funding. Um, it's it's important to plan off sites and, and get everybody together. Um, shout out to Automatic, the company behind WordPress. I think that 
uh, Matt Mulligan has written a lot about distributed teams and building a distributed culture, and I've uh, read a lot of what he has written and what others have written about WordPress, and I see them as kind of a great example of a company that is incredibly distributed. It's like 150-something people all over the world, and uh, they seem to have instilled this just incredible uh, culture and obviously have a product that's, that's that powers a, a extremely large portion of the web in, yeah, in WordPress. Huge, huge numbers, yeah. 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 And that's interesting too, because I don't think a lot of people, I mean, I guess, you know, we're in our space and we, you know, we use WordPress all the time. And that's what we build our clients' uh, websites with and we couldn't live without it. And, and it's funny because we don't really think about that founder and what he does to run the business of WordPress. And I've read a lot of articles about him and, and WordPress in general. It's fascinating to really think about how big that machine really is. Absolutely. So how, talk about mistakes a little bit, and, and you, I mean, you started young, so talk a little bit about your first company was at, what, age 19? Yes. And so you knew everything about business when you started that, right? <laughs> far, <laughs> yeah. far from it, far from it. I mean, the, the biggest mistake that I think I've made to date um, across any of the companies I've worked on was at Foundation, um, and I think it was the mistake many young entrepreneurs make. I've seen you know, some come to me that, that are in the process of making the same mistake and I try and uh, persuade them to, to take a different path and, and that's around a co-founder. I, I did not take on a co-founder uh, with, with Foundation Games and I kind of went at it uh, all alone um, and I think I was a bit misguided in thinking, oh, bringing on a co-founder, you know, that's taking a you know, a sizable chunk out of this pie and this pie is mine. And, you know, you've heard it before. Would you rather have, you know, the whole pie or a sliver of something that actually is worth something one day, right? Um, you know, starting a company is a very lonely and, and isolated experience to a certain extent. And, you know, I had great friends and family to fall back on when things were rough. But, even your mom is only going to listen to you complain up to a certain point and, and never really understand the problem that you're facing. And I think you're only going to get that with a, with a co-founder. Um, and of course, it's difficult to find the right co-founder, but I think it's, it's well worth uh, going out there and pitching what is probably just an idea, you know, until you find somebody that also cares enough about the idea to, to work with you on it and, and take it forward. Yeah, because you're right, and we talk about that loneliness <laughs> all the time. Because as CEOs, what I like to joke is that we're all on this lonely island together, and <laughs> no one really knows. Like you said, a great example: your mom, of course, she loves you. She's gonna say, "Oh, it'll be fine, sweetie. Everything you do yep. is is amazing," <laughs> you know, which is great. Yep. I'm not saying you don't need that, and that's the same thing with my wife. But sometimes, you know, you can't. As much as you talk to your friends about, they just don't. If they're not running a small business, whether or they never have, they don't understand. I don't even want to call them stresses, but they won't get your point. Um, and you can unload on them, and that's fine. But yeah, you're right. Running a small business is very lonely. And so we brought on a COO, Melissa, and you know she is you know that person. She gets it, and she knows that it's hard. And so that's that's been really beneficial. Yeah, that's great. Great to hear. I think it's difficult if you try and and go it alone. And even other entrepreneurs. You know, they're focused on their own thing, right? And even if you're in similar spaces, it's really funny because I, I feel like everybody, you'll, you're going to have similar gripes and complaints, but you really need that person that's going to be a sounding board uh, for you to, uh, you know, 
discuss the intimate kind of specifics of whatever challenges you're, you know, you guys are facing together as, as you build the startup. Yeah. And I think one of the pieces of advice that we always tell young entrepreneurs is get into some sort of mastermind group or be around people that have been there so that at least you can, you know, you can unload on them and, you know, they may not have a solution for you necessarily, but they'll, they'll at least say, look, I've been there. It's going to be all right. Um, and that, that was a huge relief for a lot of people I know. Absolutely. Aaron, what do you have to work on? What's your biggest fault and how do you tackle it every day? Because if you're like most entrepreneurs, I can probably guess what they are, but how do you work on some of your faults? For me, it's it's constantly trying to improve as a leader. Uh, Obviously, I started very, very young and I uh, consider myself a pretty good leader, but I... I want to be the absolute best at, at, at uh, building teams and, and getting people inspired daily to you know build what turn out to be incredible products. And that, for me, it's it's just constantly trying to uh, learn on the job and and see that I am uh, improving. And so that's always asking for you know feedback from you know any teammates and you know, advisors and, and uh, investors and mentors, right, to, to try and, and make myself better at, at something I feel I'm pretty good at, but, you know, I, I'm not the best at it yet, and I, I want to be. You know, Aaron, I don't know if you can speak to this at all, too, but, we, you know, I really want to talk to that young student that's out there that maybe is on his way mm-hmm. to college, on her way to college, or maybe still in high school or in college right now, that a lot of times maybe they think that um, everything is already done. Um, we hear that a lot. There's, mm-hmm. there's no new ideas. Um, and number two, and number two, um, I can't, I mean, this can't be me. I mean, this Aaron kid must've had something, um, that we, that we don't have. And, um, I don't think I could go that route. I mean, how do we prepare those students or how do we prepare ourselves? Um, what can we do to, to even maybe try to do something like that or try to start a company or be an entrepreneur? Because, for a lot of us, I think it's it's out of reach, or they, you know, they don't think that they could see themselves running a large company. Sure, I, I think in particular, if you're looking at technology, the technology side, a lot of people who are non-technical. So I'm I'm non-technical. I do know I I do not know how to code, um, and they think oh, I, I don't know how I can get into this without. Um, you know, being able to uh, do that. So whatever the the issue or the challenge is, I think you have to learn to. You, you need to as quickly as possible move beyond just being the idea person and and being able to provide some level of you know value. For me, at Foundation early on, it was doing a lot of the user interface and user interaction designs uh, for the games themselves, and running out and doing you know uh, play testing and 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 really looking at how to improve the the product. And so I kind of grew into a full scale product management role and over the past seven years I've gained enough experience I think to really be an asset and valuable not only to uh, you know my own uh, own uh, projects but any company that that comes to me for advice so I, I think you I, I call it armchair entrepreneurship when yeah. you've kind of got this idea and you, you know you may be really passionate about it but you're not really taking the steps you know forward if you are young and uh, in particular non-technical and you've got an idea for a a software or hardware project that you're obviously going to need to convince an engineer to come in with you on and 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 work on like your first challenge is to spec it out to the point that you can speak to it 
you know, and and impress this engineer enough to uh, you know have them work on this product with you. And if you come in with just an idea, I think you're you're getting turned down. If you come in with, you know, napkin sketches and. Uh, you know, a, a stack of, uh, you know, kind of this spec document on all the features. And even if it's wildly kind of out of place, I think you'll show that you're in this to um, to provide value however you can. And you're obviously, you know, passionate about it enough that you're going to dive in and, and start to learn what you need to learn to provide value. Yeah, and I think the value proposition is very important, and to really spec it out to somebody's the because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll run into entrepreneurs that say, "Well, yeah, who's going to use this? Well, everybody will use this," <laughs> and yep. they have the hockey stick graph, and um, so that's that's a big like, "All right, who exactly will use this?" Talk about those, you know, maybe the early days or even now today, because I know you're young, but this whole work-life balance, and I don't like those words because if we really like what we do, and I, I can tell you're very passionate about what you do, but we do have to, as CEOs and founders, be able to take a break because, as you know, we could always be online, we could always be working, but mm -hmm. at some point we've got to stop, and how do you do that? Are you able to do that yet or doesn't it really matter? <laughs> no, I, I think I've been able to achieve some semblance of kind of work-life balance. I agree. I, I don't like that term so much. And several people in my life before have called me kind of a workaholic. And that's always offended me a bit because I kind of look at this as, well, this is something I'm extremely passionate about. And I'm damn excited to wake up every morning sure. and address these kind of challenges. But, you you know, I, I you probably heard the term it's 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 a marathon not a sprint like yeah. i i firmly believe in avoiding burnout and i've been doing this for about 7 years i've never had a nervous breakdown i've never had a i got to pull the ripcord and you know take 3 weeks off and and so i i think what i've done to to solve this problem for for me is um i I've, I've found several kind of physically challenging things that I like to do. So uh, running, biking, uh, you know, doing some kind of intense, you know, hiking here in some of the mountains in the, in the Bay Area. Um, you know, I, I found that if I can kind of go out and hit the road at a pretty good pace, it's not long before my mind stops moving so quickly and, yep. and it, it helps to give me a, a sense of uh, focus, you know, and, and really let me kind of get out of my own head. And I, I think whether it's you know, CrossFit or some of the activities I mentioned or yoga or something, I, I, I firmly believe you have to have a kind of somewhat strenuous, you know, physical activity that, that really helps separate you out from, I, I think, what is a, a mentally very straining process uh, of, you know, obviously, you know, trying to get your company to grow and succeed. This episode of The Business Machine is sponsored by the one and only Michigan Creative. That's right. Michigan Creative sponsors this Business Machine podcast for now. So if you have other sponsors that would be willing to sponsor our little Business Machine podcast, it's a great resource for business owners across the globe. And this one is sponsored by us here at Michigan Creative. Michigan Creative is a full-service marketing and design firm in Lansing, Michigan. We provide mobile-friendly websites digital marketing, video production, branding, graphic design, and much, much more. So we'd love to work with you uh, wherever you are, and we really just want to talk to you. So if you want to just talk to us here at Michigan Creative, you can call me. My cell phone is 517-899-4533, or just visit michigancreative.com. All right, back to the show. 
Yeah, and if you're going to be a CEO or founder, I mean, 100%, two things that you have to, and I almost would say three, the third one's kind of tough, but if you can, some sort of exercise, it doesn't have to be huge, you don't have to be the next marathon runner, some sort of exercise, your diet is super important, and then if you can, try to get some sleep too, <laughs> if possible. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We talk about employees a little bit, um, and you've had some, um, and I, I can figure out how to get them. I think we can all, we know processes of how to get really good employees and maybe ask questions and, and, and get the right ones in the door. But my thing has always been, and like you said, to be a really good leader, you know, how do we always be a good leader? And how do we, I think the key is, is to make, you know, people around us better than we are, or at least as passionate as we are about the product. And that's the sign of a good leader that if I can make all my employees better than me, I've done a pretty good job. But how do we do that? And how do we keep them happy? And how do we keep them as passionate about the big picture as you and I are? For, for me, it's it's giving users, uh, sorry, uh, employees. <laughs> I, I don't really call people employees. Yeah. I, team members, team members. Team members. It, it, your user, yeah, your it, users it comes, are the app side, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. It comes to... It, I want to give anyone working on my teams clear responsibilities and the freedom to execute on those responsibilities in their own way. And I think, you know, I mentioned before, you know, trying to hire people who not only are team players but can execute on tasks with very little management. And I've found that if I kind of mistakenly hire someone who needs a bit more micromanagement that doesn't necessarily fit with my management style right. right so I look to find people who can execute very little management um, and you know give them kind of clear responsibilities and and goals and let them go out and and uh, you know make it you know make it happen and I think giving people that freedom um, is is really the quickest way to uh, you know increasing organizational kind of happiness and um, a great a great place to work that people are excited to um, you know take on the challenges so as you guys grow and in that ten years you have you know several hundred employees let's say and you're doing something postly has exploded obviously like it has um, and you're where it should be um, how do you do that I mean at that point you know how do you not become that CEO that no one ever sees and no one talks to and they're still having that you know that same feeling about why they work there have you thought about that? Yeah, so you know, Foundation Games grew to twenty-seven people at its at its peak, and we sustained that for a little over a half a year. Um, for me, it was as we grew, we would kind of compartmentalize teams. So at Foundation Games, it meant a design, um, a uh, art, and uh, engineer at a minimum in a team. So a team of three, and obviously they were bigger than that, right? But you had the three core competencies, design, art, and engineering, and they would go after the task of, of building a specific title. So during Foundation's um, kind of growth, we were almost always building at least two games kind of simultaneously. So as we grew bigger, you didn't have this kind of, uh, I didn't need to add a lot of kind of bureaucratic middle management layers to um, continue managing the products because each kind of team reported direct into me. So I wasn't necessarily, you know, having face-to-face -face time with every single employee uh, or team member daily, but I was 
at the very least, having multiple conversations with team leads. Um, and, and so I kind of see, as an organization grows, trying to carve out um, reasonably independent units that can continue kind of pursuing um, goals uh, with some level of freedom, yeah. rather than trying to build in kind of a management hierarchy that, to me, just kind of stifles uh, creativity and, and um, uh, the opportunity for people to really own uh, their own destiny or their, the, the destiny of their product, right, uh, by giving them the kind of freedom to uh, make certain calls without having to run it up to the mid-level management or, or higher. Yeah, and trust that they're making the right calls themselves for the great, yeah, yeah, yeah I like that. I love that. So, Aaron, give us a quote. Give us a favorite, one of your favorite quotes. I know you had to look this one up, but. <laughs> no, absolutely. So Isaac Asimov is my favorite writer of yeah. all time. He's kind of most famous for his robot and uh, foundation series. Um, he's got a pretty good one uh, called uh, Never Let Your Sense of Morals Get in the Way of Doing What is Right. And I, I just like that quote from the perspective of, you know, no matter how you grew up and, and how your kind of moral compass, if you will, uh, developed based on, you know, how you uh, grew up, I think it's important that we all have the ability to get outside of our own heads and, and look at situations and uh, uh, from other people's perspectives, right, right. And, and really get a... Uh, common kind of understanding of, of uh, each other in a way that, you know, I think we're just now getting through a lot of the interconnectivity that the uh, internet has brought about in the last, you know, decade or two. And um, anyway, that, that's one of my favorite from him. What about a business book? Um, if you're like me, well, I mean, I've read a, a few of them, but a lot of them I pick up as I'm super excited about them. I read the first 25 pages and then I get real busy. So give us one that we're going to read past the first 25 pages. I like Creativity Inc., uh, which yeah. is the story behind Pixar. Um, I, th I think that it's just fascinating to see a company come out of some just crazy trying initial times um, and um, a pivot from what they were originally kind of doing to being more of a film company versus a technology company. And um, just to try and see if you can gain any insights for yourself as you read the book around ways to um, instill kind of excellence. I mean, Pixar has a pretty incredible track record yeah. of uh, films. And, you know, not all of them have been extreme successes, but I really can't point at a failure no. that they've you know had and so it's just fascinating to to get a window into that um culture in that environment and to see if you can maybe cherry pick a few things for your own organization i would i would highly recommend the book cool we'll put that in the show notes all right aaron if you could have dinner with any business owner who would it be and why hands down elon musk i am just astonished by the kind of extreme challenges he's just taken on and yeah. you know despite um you know many stumbles along the way it seems to be you know um uh, succeeding at least with spacex and, and and tesla and i'm just i i find it very inspiring that that he you know 
went after these enormous challenges and is um, executing on them, even if he's you know missing deadlines and stuff, right? I, I, I think it's it's just incredible that he's willing to take on those challenges. And I mean, he could be sitting on a private island somewhere. He does not have to be doing this, you know? Yeah, no, he could definitely <laughs> not be in touch, just, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's chosen to just make it his his mission. So I, I would hope over time to uh, begin to uh, take on similar challenges in my, you know, in my own way and uh, certainly see him as the inspiration behind that. All right. So what what about a technology besides Postly? Because we know that's the number one app that we can't live without. <laughs> But what other software do you guys use that you can't that you couldn't live without? Yeah, we already kind of mentioned it's Slack. I yeah. mean, I, I'm it's an incredible product, and I love the story behind it. How it came out of a failed gaming startup as a tool that they were using to help them better, uh, you know, build this game. And I actually was a beta tester on that failed game coming out of the uh, the, the company that that would become. Slack really? and it's 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 just crazy. Yeah, I, I guess not a lot of people. No, I know hadn't that, heard that. We've been using Slack for a while. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it was uh, Stuart Butterfield had a gaming startup that uh, was putting out kind of this, I guess, attempt at a MMO um, for uh, online, and I guess they were eventually going to bring it to the, the app stores, and it just didn't pan out. And uh, they had built this workplace communication tool so they could, you know, monitor the game's development and share files. And they said, well, let's see if other people, we like this, let's see if other people will pay for it. And I just, that story is incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I see Slack in an age of a lot of unicorns that don't necessarily deserve to be unicorns. I, I think Slack deserves its valuation. They've got an excellent product. And more importantly, they've gotten lots of people to pay for that product. Yeah. And, uh, that is extremely rare in today's world. So it's a yeah, it's it's a, it's a great product. Yeah, I remember, and it happened relatively quickly too, because I remember we were one of the early adopters of Slack, and we started to use it, and it was free, and no one really heard of them. And then the next thing you know, you're seeing TV commercials, and you're seeing, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, what happened? This is like in within a year span, I think, as all mm -hmm. of a sudden that we were using them and we were cool because we were using it and now it's like all over the place. So yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm uh, you know, there's some challenges with Slack as an organization, you know. It 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 has certainly reduced uh, uh our email usage, which yeah. I enjoy and like. Um you know, but there's some challenges where you got a lot of different people messaging you about stuff. It can get overwhelming. So we've kind of had to institute some guidelines if you will you know around hey you know don't pop a message in unless you're ready to chat and you know ready to jump on this and you've already you know spent the 15 minutes to QA yourself or something right you know and just to set some principles there because there's been some leaders come out saying oh slack's actually worse than email and it's taking up all our time and it's like well you have to be a responsible human adult and right. set boundaries and actually, you know, um, implement a process just like you had with email, right? Yeah, to, uh, like, oh, Slack uh, made me drink too many beers tonight. Damn that Slack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get the last question, Aaron, is there anything that we missed that you want to touch on? Um, I think we covered all the, all the big bullet points on my side. So how do we get in touch with you? We're interested in, in, in postly, um, we want to talk a little bit more to you too. What's the best way to get that app and to learn more about you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, www.postly.co. My email, my personal email is Aaron, A-R-O-N, at postly.co. I'm super interested in in any of our uh, users reaching out to me and people that are, uh, you know, interested in the product. Um, We're in the process of building an ambassador program and a campus ambassador program and um, you know, I, I love getting emails from people that are, uh, you know, enjoying the product and have feedback. Where, where do you think, what do you, if you could picture Postly in five years and it's absolutely where you want it to be, what's it look like? I think we've hit, hit critical mass globally with uh, a number of users that are leveraging the product and have invited our friends that we've hit a sustainable, um, you know, growth, uh, 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 and that we are um, have kind of carved out a dominant niche in in this the kind of sphere that is social sharing and yeah. the various ways that you can you know share content. We we certainly think Postly addresses a lot of the challenges um, that that broadcast networks face today. And I would hope that Postly becomes a uh, you know default app in a lot of people's uh, lives and and uh, and and world because you know it, it's. I think app developers and software developers need to be a little bit more focused on uh, living up to the expectations. People are giving you their time and, and uh, to a certain extent, their you know their memories and their content and their thoughts. And yeah. you know, I think we need to be respectful of that, and we need to uh, you know work to to build the best product possible for uh, for you know everyone moving moving forward. And our it's just exciting. Exciting to work on these challenges, and um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see Postly start to get the recognition I feel it deserves, and cool. um, the, the growth we're seeing is exciting. So, awesome. yeah, well, I, I hope uh, you get some users from the podcast. I think you probably will, so that would be great. Absolutely. Last question, Aaron. It's a big one. What do you think that Aaron Byerschmidt's legacy, or what do you hope your legacy will be? I would hope that that over time I'm able to transition a bit out of the pure uh, entrepreneurship side and get into kind of uh, investing both kind of uh, in for-profit as well as kind of non-for-profit ventures, trying to focus on, um, I don't know, helping to set society, humanity in general up for this, this future that I feel we're going to with automation and robotics and um, uh, try to get us one step closer to that kind of ultimate goal of a, of a post-scarcity society. I'm fascinated by technology and where it is taking us as a, you know, as a, as a society. And I think that there's kind of a dystopian and a utopian <laughs> future sure, that's possible for us. And yeah. I want to try and, and make I don't necessarily want to be remembered. I would like to institute companies and, and, and foundations, if you will, that push humanity more towards the kind of utopian possible future um, versus the some of the other roads that we could, uh, could take. That's one heck of a legacy, Aaron. <laughs> I think you have to dream big. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on here tonight. I'm super excited to... Um, look at your app and see where Postly goes. I really appreciate you coming on our show today. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. That was Aaron Byerschmidt, the CEO and founder of Postly. So check it out. That'll be in your show notes. You can download that um, and check out Postly and how you can share content. 
And as always, get a hold of us here at The Business Machine. We'd love to hear from you as well. And enjoy the rest of the afternoon. And remember, a great leader makes everyone around him or her better than they are. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Business Machine.